Hello and welcome to episode 1071 of The Sleeper and the Bust. It is Thursday, June 30th. I'm your host, Paul Spore. Fine solo today. Justin uh, could not join us. He's taking care of his baby who got sick. Uh, so we wish his baby the best. It's actually going to prevent his vacation that he had been talking about. He's sending the family on ahead, uh, but he and the baby are going to stay behind. So hopefully everything's okay. <clears throat> Uh, with Justin, but I figured I'll still give you guys an episode, of course, and today what I want to talk about is, originally kind of wanted to do one per team, but frankly, not every team had one, and what I'm looking at is basically just some kind of surprise standout hitters, and then give some ideas on on how I think that the rest of their season is going to go. So some of the best teams didn't have one that was like sneaky, like I couldn't, I couldn't really find a Dodger that's like, oh, what's, you know, this guy's popping off on the hitting side. Edwin Rios could have been the guy, but he's on the 60-day IL, so how much value is there in analyzing him? And then on the other end, crappy teams, you know? Who was I really going to talk about for my Tigers? Um, I mean, Willie Castro. You guys want me to do you want me to do a hot 10 on Willie Castro? I don't think so. So there just wasn't uh, one for every team. I think I have 23 so seven teams did not make the cut for, for various reasons, like I said. So let's just start. Let's start with the Yankees. We're kind of going in divisional order uh, from the American League East, East Central West, and then NL East Central West. And then I believe it's in order of current record, too. So we're starting with the Yankees. And believe it or not, they actually have somebody because uh, obviously they're, they're a great team. But Jose Trevino, definitely somebody that we can put under the microscope a bit, see what's been going on with him. He's actually been a wonderful addition to their ball club and to the catching pool in fantasy. Right now, Trevino is the 15th best catcher in the game, so obviously a, a two-catcher must, regardless of league size for the most part. And then, you know, a one-catcher consideration in a lot of formats. Maybe even a 12, even though he ranks 15th, maybe you prefer it. First off, maybe somebody's hoarding two of them. Um, I know, you know Tyler Stevenson's hurt right now, so he might be on somebody's IL. So, you know, even in a 12-team one catcher, there's still some value to Trevino. You might be rostering him. He has six homers, more than he had all last year, and fewer than half, or, or, or um, less, than ha- less than half the plate appearances. 302 last year, he had five, six this year, and 140 for Trevino. He's hitting 271 as well. He's just been good. Um, you know, he doesn't strike out 14% strikeout rate, which is really nice. He's always been pretty good with the bat, but this year he's really dialed that up. That's down from 19% last year. So that's a nice big boost. He has the same BABIP too. So it's not like he's riding some crazy hot BABIP. It's just that that's that, that 279 BABIP, which he's actually had the exact number for each of the last three years. The added contact is what's delivering the uh, the extra hits there, not not so much any sort of Babbitt luck, which I like that for Trevino. A 14% homer to fly ball rate is a career best, and it is 2x of last year, but it is not such an egregious rate that I'm like, oh, Trevino can't possibly hold that. He's not really selling out for it in any real way. His fly ball rate is up 7 points to a very reasonable 38% rate. Um, his hard hit rate is actually down a bit from last year uh, and his barrel rate is up a little bit so bottom line as you look over everything there's some legitimacy to what Jose Trevino is doing here as as an age 29 uh, semi breakout for for catcher and I don't know 
that he's necessarily uh, slated to really fall off as the season wears on. He should continue to get plenty of playing time. He's definitely the number one, and it's not even like a like a share. It is, you know, he plays most games, and then Kyle Higashioka gets the one one fill in a week, maybe two on some weeks, just kind of depending. They're both right-handers too, so there's no obvious platoon. But it's clear that the Yankees had had things in mind when they made that trade for Trevino that included the IKF deal, and I'll I'll take my. Uh, I'll take my L on on suggesting that there's no way. I, I believe I, I believe I used the phrase. I was as strident as saying there's absolutely no way that they go into the season with Isaiah Kiner-Falefa as their starting shortstop. Well, they did. So I was very incorrect on that. By the way, I'm noticing Trevino was not part of that. Those are two separate deals. It was Donaldson uh, and and Rortenveet with IKF. Because remember, IKF went to Minnesota first. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. That's right. That's right. And then it was uh, Gary Sanchez and Gio Urshela heading back to the Twins. And then the Trevino deal happened um, actually late in spring. So Trevino was with them. It, it, this was, yeah, I had my timeline way off. For Robbie Alstrom and Albert Abreu on April 2nd when they went ahead and got him. Now, remember, that was still before the season started because we pushed it back a week. But it's like a week before the season started. And Trevino's been great. IKF, by the way, for, for what he's been doing, you know. Playing a mean defense and has 11 steals, but he does have an 83 WRC+. plus. So that's Jose Trevino. I think we stick with him in two catcher formats for sure. In one catcher, there may be a period where, hey, somebody else pops up. You want to move that way? That's fine. You can keep monitoring it. But for now, you're not being hurt by any stretch of the imagination by having Jose Trevino as one of your two catchers or as your solo catcher in a 15 or 12 team. In a 10 team, you should probably be able to find an upgrade. Santiago Espinal. For the Jays, I know has been a popular kind of uh, uh, you know utility type guy that people were excited to pick up either off the waiver wire or super late in leagues. Although I'm looking right now, he does have two positions. He does have third that he brought into to the season. He was third only, but now he's added second base, so he has that great uh, corner middle capability. So you got you know four spots you can really fill in: second, third. CIMI and of course utility, but that that's everybody. So four spots that uh, that are notable, and then the fifth spot that everybody has. He's been fine. Two sixty eight, three twenty one, three ninety two, with five homers, three steals. He's an above average bat. That's a one oh. That's a one hundred on the on the button. WRC plus down a bit from last year. Um, you know he kind of is who he is. I think because he's been a positive player and he was kind of a late sneaky pick or, or a waiver pickup for people that there's maybe a little bit of overrating of, of what he's doing. I'm not sure that it's, you know, I'm, I'm not sure that it's really 12 team viable. Maybe you're putting it on the bench, uh, putting Espinal on the bench, 15 teams. Sure. And I'm obviously heavily 15 team focused. Um, that, that's my main one with the, with the main event and everything. So I, I do see a lot of things through that, through that prism. And Espinal definitely has value in those formats. And like I said, there's some fringe, 12-team value, but he's been fine. The The full-season pace for what he's been doing here, I think it was like 11-9. and nine. Let, me, let me go ahead and get it real quick. Yeah, because we're, we're quickly approaching the halfway mark. We're at 75 games for Espinal, so, you know, the the easy way would to be to double it, maybe add a homer or a steal. So he's at 5-3. and three. You're like, okay, 10-6. and six. And actually, the full-season pace is 11 homers, but still just six bases because uh, it's probably like six-point whatever, but you can't get 
part of a steal. So he's okay. He's okay. But you should be looking to upgrade here. I'd like a better batting average if I was going to hold somebody like Espinal. He hit 311 last year. If I can get back up in that range, I'm interested. But as it stands right now, it's pretty bland, and you should be actively seeking an upgrade. I do like the, the lineup that he's part of, of course, and that certainly helps. That can give you some trickle-down trickle, tr trickle down value there from runs and ribbies. But you got to be looking to make a move. Next up is Franchi Cordero for Boston. Now, a lot of fantasy heads especially you deep leaguers, you you know the name Franchi Cordero. We have been, uh, it, we being the, the royal we of the fantasy community, been kind of hoping on some things for Franchi Cordero for a while. He's he's tooled up, if you will. He's got a lot of loud skills, but also some issues that kind of make it so uh, those skills don't always get to shine through, namely a pretty severe strikeout rate usually. But this year he's cut it down to a palatable 26%. Like you can live with that when his career mark coming into this season was 36%. That's a 10-point jump. And he's also added a couple points to his uh, walk rate up to 10%. So 26% K, 10% walk, that's a foundation that can let Franchi's skills come through. Now, he hasn't been off the charts. 252, 331, 413 is his slash line. It's a, it's a 109 WRC+, plus, 9% better than league average, three homers, three steals. But it is positive. And again... Uh, I'll be I'll be honest out, out front here. A lot of these players are going to cater to deeper leagues. Now, there's some guys that are all formats viable here. This is not just a deep league episode. But a lot of these guys will skew deeper. I'm, again, I'm looking for sneaky, kind of surprise bats on teams. It's not going to be your your breakout studs. You know, we're not going to do a breakdown to Xander Bogart. It's like, yo, have you guys seen this guy? Have you guys seen this Xander Bogarts? He's amazing. But no, Cordero's getting a lot of burn at first base. He's played four of the last six uh, with Dahlbeck fitting in. They've all been righties. So, you know, he gets the strong side of that platoon. And they're at, you know, they've given Dahlbeck a few opportunities against some righties just to get him in. But he's outperforming Dahlbeck, Franchi Cordero is, by a lot. Like, it, it's really not that difficult. You're looking at a 71 WRC plus for Dahlbeck versus the 109 for Franchi. So, I do think there's some value there. I think he's going to have, what, first base outfield. So that's a unique uh, qualification as well. I do love players with those unique qualifications. I just mentioned it with Espinal when you got corner corner and middle, when you got first base and outfield, when you got something, you know, that can give you that extra that range for the lineup, that can always be huge. So I think he's strictly a deep league play for Franchi. You know, you're loving him in AL only. You're you're, you're okay with him as your fifth outfielder or maybe your corner in a 15 you can keep an eye on 12s but i don't really think you should be rostering him you need more playing time in a 12 teamer we move this sheet over here uh for the rays we'll get with a guy who has been very popular of late and that's of course isak paredes it looks like isaac it is actually isak and he's been of course on fire he has 10 home runs in like four games that's that's a little bit inaccurate but but not not crazily it's actually 36 games it's a little bit more than four but 10 homers in that amount of time is really freaking good so he's been he's been off the charts right now with that power he's selling out for it big time though like that part it has to be pointed out and i'm not talking about necessarily with swing and miss he's not swinging from his heels he actually has a 15 percent swinging strike rate which is wonderful for such power. What I mean, though, is the ball's in the air a bunch. He's actually gotten the fly ball rate down a bit, but he was up over 50 uh, for a while there with the home runs 
for Paredes. He's at 49% now. Uh, when I say with the home runs, I mean when the home runs were first popping off. He had the three-homer game and the two-homer game. He was toting like a 53% fly ball rate. He's got it down to 49. That's still a lot, though, with a 21% infield fly ball rate. And pop-ups are basically, <clears throat> excuse me, automatic outs. <clears throat> Pardon me. Uh, they're automatic outs. You know, they, they don't count like strikeouts for pitchers, but they basically are that. They're free outs there, and there's a lot for Paredes. And that's why he has a 243 average. There's a 195 BABIP that you would expect to regress some, sure. But when you have a 10% line drive rate and a 49% fly ball rate, that doesn't leave a lot of room to get base hits, to collect those extra singles and, and some doubles, as opposed to just the, uh, the, the homers leaving the yard. So I think that's a bit of a problem with Paredes right now and why you can't just look at the BABIP and say, he's doing all this and the BABIP is going to regress like crazy. It's like, no, it's not unless there's a bit of a change to his approach. There is a good foundation here. I love that he can walk uh, about half as much as he strikes out, 15 to 8 strikeout to walk ratio percentage. Uh, those are percentages, by the way. With the 10 homers, 243 average doesn't kill you, but I do worry that that average can sink when the ball's in the air that much. Also, there's a playing time question. Are they going to commit to him? We know how the Rays are. Uh, when you're playing this well, you get to play. He has played the last five. Four of them at first, one of them at second. G-Man Choi is kind of a first base DH splitting with uh, with Paredes. Oh, excuse me. Actually, it's been three at first, one at third, one at second for Paredes. He's a lock against right against lefties. Excuse me. It's it's against righties. Is he going to get the playing time against righties for Paredes? That's really your question. I'm fine taking a shot on him in just about all formats right now because. He's been so good. Now, I wouldn't necessarily cut somebody in a 10-teamer. I mean, he's probably already been picked up in most leagues because he's been so hot. But if he hits a cold streak and you look to pick him up, at least investigate the cold streak for your shallower leagues. He might just be a shining comet that kind of goes by. And we like, remember when Isak Paredes has 10 homers in 114 plate appearances, and then we don't think anything of it. That might be the case with him. I can't say for sure. Sorry for those throat clearings there. I having a little issue, um, did a quick pause and, and got it so situated. I got to be honest with y'all, throat's a little uneasy because I legitimately almost died last night. Probably shouldn't be laughing about it, but I survived thanks to my lovely girlfriend who saved my life. Um, started choking and like I was, I was eat we were eating dinner. We were just kind of eating, uh, we were eating separately last night because we were both doing stuff. And so I'm eating it. And it, you know, catches a little bit. And I'm like, okay, I'll take a drink, wash it down, it's fine. Well, it it didn't push it down. So basically the water got stuck and then I just could not breathe. So started freaking out, obviously, because I didn't want to die. Dying sucks. <clears throat> and I knew Jen was, you know, playing games and had her headphones on. So I just started smacking my table to get her attention and, and hopefully get the dogs. Henry started barking. She leapt into action and legitimately save my life. So if I get the throat scratch again, I'm, I'm going to try to clear through it and everything, but that's probably why I didn't even get my voice back for like 20 minutes after it happened yesterday. We move on, though. Luis Arise. Y'all know Luis Arise. He's not available anywhere. You know, some of these guys, it's going to be mixed availability here, too. I'll, I'll spoil. I'll say, you know, we're going to talk about Taylor Ward. Obviously, he's not available anywhere either. But So we, we're hitting a big range of players here from guys that are available in tons of leagues, uh, two guys who are all formats studs right now. But these are surprise guys that we want to talk about their their future. 
So with Louis Arise in Minnesota, he's hitting 337, which is wonderful. He's a contact god. He walks more than he's he's walking more than he struck out this year. He's done that before. Uh, for his career, he's at nine percent strikeouts. 10% walks. So for his career, he's over as well. This year, it's 12% walks, 8% Ks. And he's never really been too far off. The worst year he had was 121 plate appearances back in 2020. He only played one of the two months and he had a 7% walk, 9% K. Luis Arise, 318 career average. So him hitting 337 is not crazy. Um, when he was toting like a over 400 BABIP, of course that's going to come down. Uh, you guys may have seen me get into a little bit of a, a Twitter a Twitter deal a few weeks ago about Luis Arise because somebody was like, oh, he's the most slept on player in the game. And I just I was just like, oh, you know, that's, that's, that's probably not true. Like, he's riding hot. It's great. I love him. But, you know, this is a hot streak from, uh, you know, this is another like Stephen Kwan hot streak. It's just, it's, it's longer. But like, they're the same player. I, I stand steadfastly by that. I was like, he, Luis arrives at Stephen Kwan with 100 points of Babbitt. And that's just the truth. That's a, They are the same player type, and that's okay. But at the time, they had a 100-point Babbitt split, and now it's 359 for a rise, 307 for Kwan. Kwan's hitting 288. He's got more walks than strikeouts. He's got five steals, one homer. A rise has four homers, two steals. And I will say, the four homers is nice there because that's double what he did last year for a rise. It matches a career high in fewer plate appearances than the career high was set, which was 366 to the 282 this year. But I don't see any real power surge coming. He still has an 093 ISO, which is his second best ever. He had a 104 back in 2019 when he hit the four homers. So, I mean, it's still pretty empty batting average. I don't dislike a rise. I've kind of leaned into the meme a bit on, on Twitter of like, you know, Stephen Kwan's a god and, and Luis Arise isn't because of the overreaction of those Twins fans. They lost their ever-loving minds. And so I'm having fun with it. Like the next day was when he hit the Grand Slam off of Boz and I loved it. I thought that was freaking hilarious. And I was fine to take some fun ribbing for that, but those fools just lost their minds. They were not understanding the playfulness of at least what I was looking for. So maybe I was barking up the wrong tree. At any rate, he, he, of course, is in all formats play right now, Arises, because of how well he's playing and because the batting average does help. Um, you definitely put him on roster in any league. He's obviously 100% rostered or absolutely should be, maybe outside of some dead leagues, uh, some shallower formats. But when you're, when you're hitting this much, even if it is relatively empty batting average, <clears throat> you still have to go for it. Like, you have to. So uh, he also is on pace for 100 runs. So that's why I want to be careful going too much on the empty batting average aspect of it because 100 runs is good, so there is more to it. And even the 64 ribbies that he's pacing for, while not a great number, is not um, is not a total total dud there. He's a 55 RBI per 162 pace coming into this year for a rise, so he's pacing well over that. And he is pacing for 10 homers. Now, if he gets 10 homers, let's say if he gets 8 homers, hits 320, and scores the 100 runs. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. I still stand firm, though, that to roster guys like this and Quan, and then on the other end, speed demons like like Miles Straw, who don't really do a whole lot else besides give you that speed. And again, Justin and I have had this combo. Straw last year also had a good batting average and scored 86 runs. Where's that batting average this year? But And that's why I don't like to take bad players. There is a little something there. 
my uh, sorry, I lost my thread there. You need to have a specific team construction to roster these bat batting average guys like this that have no power and these speed demons that have no power. I don't think it's something that you take on in season and like figure it out. I think you have to have the plan kind of mapped out. That's me personally. That's how I like to manage. And we all manage differently. We all know our strengths and weaknesses. For me, if I'm going to take one of those guys, I've already planned that in the draft. Now, that doesn't mean I wouldn't pick up John Birdie, who we're going to talk about later, when he's stealing his face off, of course. Of course I would. But there's also the difference between draft capital and, and picking somebody up off of waivers. I'd pick Miles Straw up off of waivers too, but I wouldn't draft him. I don't want to waste the draft capital. So anyway, Luis Arise, ride it. it. It's fun. I love that he's going crazy. And if he has like another huge surge and like, you know, is hitting 388 or something into August, meaning he was, you know, he's, he's in the vicinity of a potential 400 run, I will be so for it. I do like Luis Arise. I really do. Josh Naylor is our Cleveland guy. Uh, he has nine homers, hit a big walk off yesterday. 41 ribbies, 22 runs, 271, 328, 492 line for Naylor. He's got, uh, let's see, what's that? What's that equate to? That's a 131 WRC plus. One thing I love about Naylor, this is, I, I got in early on this one. I'll, I'll, I'll do a little, little bragging slash back pat on this one. Just because one of the reasons I've liked him for years is the power potential. He had, he had not shown it at the major league level. I'll be fully clear. He had a 139 ISO coming into this year, but all the scouting and all the prospect reports hinted at the fact that there is power here. And you just look at him. I mean, he's a big dude. And you're like, you can tap into some power. Hopefully he doesn't become one of these guys that, you know, you, you see the stature and you see the skills and he can't, he can't gain lift. And that was part of the issue was the fact that he was on the ground too much for Josh Naylor. But one of the reasons I liked him with that was he didn't strike out and he had power potential. What's happening this year? 221 ISO and a 16% strikeout rate. That's wonderful. So he makes a lot of contact. He got 271 average and the power. 221 ISO, as I just mentioned. Nine homers so far. I really believe in what he's doing. I think he was knocking on the door of a potential breakthrough last year. Maybe not a full-scale breakout. I know I'm kind of parsing words here. Well, what's a breakthrough versus a breakout? I don't know, necessarily. But I'm thinking like a breakthrough is like they get a bit better and they hint at something bigger in the future, more so as a breakout is like they've arrived. You know, Taylor Ward's having a breakout right now. Um, and I think Josh Naylor is this year, but he was hinting at it before the broken leg. And even even with just a 700 OPS, if you were kind of watching him day to day last year, you're seeing things a bit more. He still needed to figure out how to get the ball in the air and things like that. And his ground ball rate has gone down from 50 to 43%. So that helps. And uh, I really do believe you know, this he's a 25 year old nailer. Is I believe that there is 30 homer potential here. He can be like a two, 275, 3100 kind of guy, maybe even this year. I mean, he's pacing for 29, 133. Now, he's not necessarily going to get there because um, he missed the first week of the season, he was still recovering, and he's missed a handful of games uh, elsewhere in the season. And that's a 162 pace. Maybe he rises up and says, Let me. Let me get my pace on track even more and hit uh, 21 more homers the rest of the way with 59 ribbies. That'd be great. But that's not what I'm banking on. I will. I am banking on an all-formats capable outfielder with Josh Naylor, though. Does he have first base eligibility? He does. He's played first base this year and outfield eligibility from last year. So he has that outfield first base as well, which I love. Jake Berger's a guy for the White Sox that 
If I just set it and forget it, I'd have a plus bat in some lineups right now. But the up and down nature of his season and kind of his occupying one of the last roster spots on my team has made him expendable at times. And I've I've kind of cut cut and reacquired him in some leagues and then cut and lost out on him in others. He was a guy I was in on big time coming into the year. Um, former first rounder with gobs of talent. Injuries have absolutely snake bitten his career. That's why he's 26 years old, finally getting his first chance because injuries have just been awful. Uh, he was drafted back in 2017, Jake Berger was, and let me tell you, he has 615 minor league plate appearances, y'all. <laughs> he has more college plate appearances than minor league ones, 821 to 615 at this point because of the consistent injuries that have derailed him. But he's finally getting a shot, and he's looking he's looking the part. He's a 116 WRC+, plus, eight homers. He is kind of your prototypical slugger. Uh, a lot of swing and miss there at a 31% clip with just a 6% walk rate. But I do believe in the power. And I do believe that he can kind of fix those rates a bit. I don't think he's going to be a stud at either of them. I don't see like a double-digit walk rate and a 22% K rate. But I think he can get the K rate under 30 and then the walk rate maybe closer to the uh, 7 to 9% range, which would be, you know, both of those would just be a bit better. They would still be bad or, or you know less than ideal actually an eight eight percent walk rate would be fine but a 20 27 28 k rate wouldn't be great but you're fine with it and he's in 251 which isn't too bad of an average with the power i think he's definitely somebody i'm holding in 15s and 12s right now i don't even know if you're rostering him in 10s i don't necessarily think you should be keep an eye on him he could have a summer heater jake Berger could where things are really going and he hits a bundle of homers in a short span but for now i think 12s and deeper is where you like Jake Berger. A show favorite here, and I feel, I feel bad talking about Edward Oliveris without without Justin. We were such fans, and we dealt with the 500 ups and downs last year, and he's already had a couple this year, but he's been up now uh, again for another week or so. And this one, th this year, it was injury that got him. He was finally getting his chance, it looked like. He came up on April 23rd, and April 23rd through May 8th, Edward Oliveris was killing it. Now, a lot of it was BABIP fueled. He had a 448 BABIP, which was fueling a 406, 457, 531 line. No homers, four doubles, three ribbies, and a steal. But that was securing playing time. And the four games before his injury, he moved up to the leadoff spot. So that's why us Oliveris super fans were particularly geeked. We're like, this, it's happening. It's finally happening. He returns from the IL on June 24th, promptly hits two homers, and of course, the, the Oliveris fandom melts. We lose our minds. We're so excited. He's back, and I'm rolling with him in 12s and deeper for sure. In 10s, I would have to have like an, a perfect fit need. Actually, no, never mind, never mind, never mind, never mind. He can't do it yet because he has not reassumed anything with that with a full-time role or batting at the top of the order. Now, he has batted fourth against lefties. They seem to like Oliveris in the middle of the lineup against lefties, but seventh most recently against righties, uh, and that was on Wednesday. On Tuesday, he didn't play. So he's not playing every day, so I don't think you can really look at him in tens. You can kind of have him on your watch list in case the full-time playing time gets there for Edward Oliveris, but otherwise, I think it's got to be 12s and deeper right now. But I really like the talent. There's power and speed there, and that's why if it does 
develop into, let's, okay, here's, here's a great scenario. Let's say they trade Michael A. Taylor, as they absolutely one jillion percent should, and Andrew Benintendi, both of whom are coming up off their deals this year at, at ages 31 and 28, respectively. The Royals did not pan out this year, right? They're, they're worse than the Tigers, 27 and 47. No need to hold those two. You didn't have your sneak year. You're not, you're not, you're, you're not uh, plucky contenders the way the Tigers, Royals, Mariners, um, any other teams that were supposed to fill that role this year. They, they did not. They did not come through. It's actually like the Orioles who are feeling a little bit sneakier, the Marlins, than, than those teams. So they can go ahead and sell without incident, create the opening for Edward Oliveras, and then I start to look at him in, in every format possibly because the upside is so rich. Houston really didn't have anybody. Um, and then did I botch these the order here? Oh, no, here we go. Nathaniel Lowe is the next one for Texas. Houston, I, I just said Houston didn't have one, right? God, I can't remember what I said nine seconds ago. Nathaniel Lowe, 10 homers, 278 average, 327 OBP, 440 slug. Big Nathaniel Lowe fan. If you listen to the offseason stuff, you know that. You know, this guy I was really excited about this year. What I liked so much about him was, I think, the talent's in place. And if he could find a bit of lift, there could be a power explosion. Now, he's found a bit of lift from 55% ground ball rate down to 47. I'll, I'll take that. I, I like that. Get under that 50% rate. Line drive rate has gone up from 18% to 25%. These are both positive things for Nathaniel Lowe's profile. Additionally, um... We've seen, or not additionally, subsequently, we've seen a little bit of a jump in the power from a 151 ISO to 162. It's 11 points. Let's not let's not lose our minds over it. But he does have 10 homers so far in 69 games for for low, and I'm really I'm really still thinking that there could be more. Like I, I definitely believe he's got 30 homer upside if he really finds some lift. If he's more of like a 40% ground ball, now that's probably a, a multi-year type of change. I don't know if that's a one-year, all of a sudden you're completely different. He's pacing for 23 this year, which would still be last year's 18. Now, he hasn't delivered the sneaky speed from last year. He went 18-8 and eight with a 264, which made Nathaniel Lowe really, really good. Like He was a really sneaky corner guy last year he's one for three on the bases this year i wasn't banking on the sneaky speed and he could still get it but i'm here for the power and the batting average if he throws in some extra steals i'll take him and say thanks now i mentioned that we would talk about taylor ward we're going to go ahead and do that now taylor ward and i want to bring this up because i saw this in more than one spot i had a tweet directed to me somebody was asking me a question about him specifically and then i also had a situation where I was reading a thread on Twitter where a few people were discussing it. And that is this notion that uh, Ward has fallen off. And I don't, uh, I don't agree with that. I understand where it comes from, but it requires another check to see, oh, it's been updated. So where it comes from is he had an 1194 OPS through his first 30 games this year, Taylor Ward. He was just God tier, just unbelievable. Then he sat out for four games didn't go on the IL, but just missed time. He comes back from that, not starting two of the next three, just pinch hitting, and then a start mixed in between. But over the course of his next 14 games, which was 53 plate appearances, 14, uh, 14 games, 12 starts, and then those two fill-ins, he hit 140, 189, 220 with a 171 BABIP. Just some pretty harsh regression for a two-week period. Um, 
you know, I've been talking about this a lot lately. Sometimes the regression is, is smooth and you kind of incrementally get back toward your mean. And sometimes it's a, a snap back to reality. And then this is, this was that this was, Hey, you're not really an 1194 guy. Let's get you back down here to a 954 and go from there. Well, in the subsequent time since then, which is almost another two weeks, it's 10 days or 10 games, 44 plate appearances. He's back up to 366, 409, 512. This is Taylor Ward for the Angels with another homer and looking, you know, back on track. The 500 Babip is there too. So he's, you know, the Babip has returned. But the bottom line is he came out of that cold funk. And that's kind of what I wanted to to dispel if anybody else was feeling that or kind of reading that elsewhere about how, oh, Taylor Ward fell off. He's not as good anymore. It's like, well, that's not exactly true. He had a period where he fell, but he's back and he's still leading off. He's got great skills, 23% K, 14, uh, 13% walk rate. I, I believe in a lot of this. I really do. I think there's a lot to like here. I think it's an even better version of Jared Walsh's breakout, which had some realness to it early that you could really that you could really buy into. And I think we're seeing something similar here with uh, with Taylor Ward. And so I'm bought into this. I'm, I know he's a late bloomer at age 28. I, I think I'm gonna be, you know, we'll see how this season goes. I'm not gonna commit to buying into him next year and then he falls off the face of the earth, but I don't think he's going to. And I feel like this is something that's gonna carry beyond this year. He's had good periods in the in the majors before. His 2020 slash 21 was about 100 games. It was 99, and he put up um, a 105 OPS plus. I'm on B ref, so I'm looking at at it over there. But you know he was pretty good. It was actually a 107 WRC plus. So small differences there, nothing too much to get worried about. But he was he showed that he could be an above average bat, and now obviously he's playing way above that. But he'd hint he had hinted at his talent. We saw some great work in the minors from Taylor Ward as well. And now it's just coming to fruition. So I fully believe in him. He's in all formats play. It would take a lot for me to cut him. Obviously, a catastrophic injury is one thing, but in terms of performance, I need way more than that two-week lull to move on from Taylor Ward at this point. Cal Raleigh has, uh, despite hitting just 190, has done enough to have some fantasy viability in two catcher leagues. I think it's got to be 12 teams and deeper. Maybe 10s. Actually, you know what? He is the 18th ranked catcher. Now, that's not perfect to just say, oh, he's 18th, so he must be owned in 10 team two catcher because that's 20 catchers. Because some of the guys who aren't in the in the top 20 are still going to be rostered. Adley Rutschman isn't in the top 20. I think Omar Nervaez is still being held on to a decent bit. Uh, I'm trying to see if there's any others that are close here. I mean, Yasmani Grandal, people are still riding that, which I understand I'm doing it too. Like in dumbass he's on the il right now but he so he's on people's benches um melendez is technically not in the top 20 he's 21st elias diaz out in colorado so just because he is 18th for cal Raleigh doesn't mean he has to be rostered in 10 teamers you're really looking 12s and deeper with two catchers because that 190 average sucks now with catchers you can afford a bit of a lower batting average because their volume does not kill it and so i think you can do that like where you have okay I'll do this. I'll, I'll eat this batting average for the power, for the 10 homers. And the trade-off isn't too bad, again, because they don't have that many plate appearances to kind of destroy you with. But you have to be careful. And if you're already a bit of a, um, of a batting average liability, if your team already has issues, then you need to really make sure that you're okay and that you can afford to take that on. So be very careful with Cal Raleigh. I love him for deeper formats. I do think he can improve the batting average a bit. 
Uh, I mean, I would hope, right? He's at 190. If he can't improve from here, he does strike out a ton. But a 202 BABIP certainly isn't helping him. Um, he is one of those sellout for power guys, though. So you can't just say BABIP and then be done with it. Oh, BABIP 202, it'll regress. It can regress some, but he's 52% fly ball, 29% ground balls, and 19% line drive. So I think he can be a low 200s guy, which I'll take with the power. 261 ISO for Cal Raleigh. We'll see if he can develop. I don't think he's, he's just this guy. I think there can be more. But he is still kind of finding his footing in the majors. Remember, he has just 310 major league plate appearances. I'm thinking now, kind of looking at time, that we'll go NL or ALNL here. We'll separate them, and I'll do another one tomorrow. So you'll get a Friday episode as well as this Thursday night drop here. So let's just finish the American League with Seth Breezy, aka Seth Brown, and I like what he's doing. This was a guy I liked too. I thought he was a sneaky 30 homer potential. And the real question was, like, at what cost to the batting average? And unlike somebody like Cal Raleigh, you got Seth Brown playing every day, so his batting average has the chance to really hammer you. Well, he's hitting 230, which in the world we live in, you actually have to say is not too bad because that's the, that's the truth of it. 230, 291, I hate, I hate sub-300 BABIPs. I mean, uh, sub-300 OBPs. They're so gross. But he does have a 291 OBP and a 447 slug. 26% K rate, 7% walk. With the power that Seth Brown displays, and I'll get into the sneaky speed in a moment, I can take on this flawed hitting profile and this bad batting average. I really, really can. He has 10 homers and 7 steals. He went 20-4 and four last year, which was definitely nice. And people thought he could build on, myself included. And he is he has really outdone that. Like they're just kind of letting him run wild. He's seven for seven too. So I shouldn't even say run wild, but he seems to have a bit of a green light where he can kind of go. And as long as Seth Brown is, is successful seven for seven, they're letting him go. And he's pacing right now for 23 homers and 16 steals with a 230 average. Yeah. It's only 82 ribbies and 55 runs because of Oakland, but you would take that. You would take that with those steals at corner for yourself. And maybe first, uh, maybe outfield. I'm checking Seth Brown's eligibility. Yeah, first base outfield, similar to Naylor. In fact, he ranks one point above Naylor at the first base position on the Rasball Player Rater, 22nd to 23rd. Seth Brown over Naylor. Nathaniel Lowe is 21st, by the way. So three of our guys right there in order at that 21, 22, 23 mark. And don't forget, this is composite for the full year. So guys like uh, somebody like Naylor. Uh, actually has a little bit of a handicap where he doesn't have as much time as the others. Um, let me see. Brown has played 71 of their 76 games, so he's basically played the full season. And, of course, uh, who was the other one? Lowe has played – they've played 80 – or, excuse me, 73 games, and Lowe's played 69. So very nice there, and they, they've played their full allotment. But Naylor, you can almost look at him as, as a bit more valuable – than that 23 spot because on a per game basis, he jumps well ahead of them. So I like Seth Brown. They should continue to play him every single day. Uh, let me see if he's doing anything against lefties. He might lose some time there. He's pretty dreadful. Okay, so as long as he's a strong side platoon, because sometimes I understand you want the incremental uh, counting categories of somebody playing every day, but sometimes that trade-off just isn't quite worth it if the, if the skills are that bad. He's a 162, 205, 297 against lefties, Seth Brown is. You don't want that. 
You don't want that. And for his career, he's 164, 215, 274. You might not have internalized all six of those numbers. I'll just tell you, they're not that different. So this year's lefty numbers are in line with his career for Seth Brown. He's bad against lefties. So that's fine if he's a strong side platoon. We'll take that. Your fifth outfielder, your corner, you're getting a lot of value there with the 10 homers and seven steals. Continue to play him. Now, he's 30. Oakland should consider trading him, right? Like, what do they need to hold him for? He's not on the next great team. Not, not, a, not a chance. So maybe he goes somewhere where he's still just strong side platooning, and that's okay because that's all he's doing here in Oakland. He might lose some PT, but it could be negated by being part of a much better lineup. I don't know who has a corner outfield slash first base need right now, but maybe that's the answer for Brown. So I like him in 12s and deeper for sure. A little fringier in 10s. But if you start to see his name popping up in trade rumors, maybe in a 10, you go out and sneak Seth Brown. Now, I would say you got to have five outfielders in the 10. If it's a three outfielder with like no corner, so it's first, second, third, short, three outfielders in utility, I don't see Brown cracking that at all. But if it's five outfielders with the corner, so the standard roto lineup, but it's a 10-teamer, I think he can maybe be a reserve guy or somebody you keep on your watch list. And then, like I said, once the trade rumors heat up if they do for brown you go get him and then just hope he goes to a badass team and then you might have found yourself a uh, a new corner infielder so there we go jose trevino santiago espinal franchi cordero isaac paredes luis arise josh naylor jake berger edward oliveras nathaniel lowe taylor ward cal raleigh and seth brown in the american league i'll do the national league in a separate episode i kind of knew that i was probably not going to be able to do all of them together without it being a crazy long episode so that's okay i don't i don't mind that i think this will work as its own episode it's it's under an hour but if we did a whole the whole other league that's one two three four five six seven eight nine ten eleven more players and you know i'm gonna be doing like at least three four minutes on each call it three and a half that's another 39 minutes that we're looking at so i'll go ahead and get you guys out here Thank you so much for listening. I will have another one tomorrow uh, on Friday. The uh, Oh, I guess that'll be the 1st. It's July 1st tomorrow. Wow, it's already July. Anyway, thanks for listening. Talk to you all later. Peace. <laughs>